Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. In this episode, we're joined by Charles Bing Bingham, Simon Fraser University. Hello, Bing. Welcome to Pipeline. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, um, perhaps to get us started, you can uh, tell us a little bit about how you began doing philosophical work on questions of education. Uh, what was what was your pathway into this work? I think my philosophical interest started when. I was a teacher in high school, and some unfortunate political circumstances made me have to quit my job, so I went back to get my master's degree. And I knew that I loved literature, so I studied comparative literature. Little little did I know, the uh, comparative literature departments in those days all across the country were all about theory and philosophy. So I just read philosophy and theory for two years, and it had nothing whatsoever to do with education. And I got back into teaching, uh, taught junior high school, I think, for six years. And then I left that teaching to, actually, I was teaching half-time, and I went to get my Ph.D. I did not know that there was such a thing as philosophy of education at the time, although I'd read a lot of critical theory in education. I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know that there was a department of philosophy of education at the University of Washington. And when I arrived, I found, to my wonder, that I could study the same sort of theory that I'd been very interested in when I got my master's degree. Okay. So that's what got me in. Yeah, and so and so, uh, getting in uh, through that pathway, as you uh, as you describe it, being yeah. uh, rather circuitous. Um, uh, were there any issues from those early days that you find yourself returning to in the work that you've done uh, since then? Oh, sure. Like I say, actually, before I got into philosophy of education per se, I, I did read a lot of critical theory. Yeah. Henry Giroux and Peter McLaren and Ira Shore and um, Polo Freire. And I, I was reading those things when I was teaching um, in junior high school. Okay. And uh, those have always come back to me. At, yeah. at this point, I teach a class called Social Issues in Education. Uh, we read Paulo Freire. Students get very uh, excited about uh, critical theory in education, so I'm I'm actually back to where I started from in the theory uh, all the time. Yeah. And so some of our listeners might not be very familiar with that uh, with that tradition. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what you find um, uh, motivating or interesting, or or in some ways, why is it the case that you find yourself returning to critical theory? What's what's valuable there? Okay. So I, I think in essence, critical theory accuses schools sometimes of acting in uh, somewhat less than virtuous ways. And so what I find myself going back to is, is the fact that schools were originally set up on the model um, of a assembly line for production purposes, to produce well and efficiently. And they're still set up that way. So it, I never... F- fail to find it exciting to think about how critical theory informs the way we have to we have to realize that schools are, are much larger in their intent than just reading writing and arithmetic and critical theory teaches us that schools are doing something at the same time they're also reproducing uh, societal values 
Right. Those values can be good or bad. Um, the societal values that schools tend to reproduce these days are capitalist, consumerist values. And, well, there was a <clears throat> person named Ivan Illich, and what he said, I quote, schools are the advertisement agency for life as it is now, yeah. unquote. And he also was a critical theorist. And these folks have some insight. They have insight into the dark side of what schools do. And so what I try to do is to educate my students and also continue to educate myself about how we can, can I say, fight for the light side of education versus the dark side or fight for the good side versus the bad side. So critical theory is just that. It's critical of what schools um, actually do as opposed to what we tend to say that schools do. And to you, Ahmad, to your reading and to your uh, uh, engagement with that uh, with that tradition, is it the case that schools are doing this consciously, or is this sort of um, you know folks just being less than critical uh, about their own practices? Uh, is it malicious to your mind? It's malicious, but not intentionally malicious. Okay. Uh, in many cases, uh, school leaders don't know. Uh, how schools are actually reproducing society as it is. They don't perhaps mean to be doing that. So it's, it's unintentionally malicious. Uh, I, would th- I think at the level of world leaders, though, a lot of folks really understand that schooling, Western schooling, uh, promotes a certain type of democracy and a certain type of capitalism. And I think at, at a very high level, leaders understand that that's uh, our way of life in the West and not necessarily other people's way of life even though they promote that way of life all around the world. I would say largely unintentional um, but some people know what's going on. I see, I see, I see. Wow, this, that, that, that's interesting. And I, I, let me just say that I appreciate you taking the time to really spell this out for our listeners, uh, because I think this is quite helpful. Uh, uh, towards furthering that goal, I wonder if you could uh, comment uh, briefly about what might lie on the other side of that uh, uh, criticism. That is to say, so we, we critique, right? Uh, uh, but what do we do with that afterwards? I mean, do we simply say that there are just these uh, unintended and sometimes intended consequences uh, of these features of these educational projects, and there's very little that we can do to sort of uh, resist them? Or do we attempt to replace them with uh, better versions of themselves, right? Sort of pressing ourselves to the uh, ideal goals that we might have in mind uh, uh, for our educational systems. Uh, what do we do with this critique? Well, I think the goal should be idealistic. I think it should be to strip away negative influences entirely. I don't think we'll ever reach that goal. Sure. Um, you know, the, the meaning of school, etymologically, is comes from the Greek meaning leisure. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've we've turn schools into a place of high-pressure production. Mm. So I think one step in, in the right direction would be to free some space in schools once again for them to be a place of leisure rather than uh, a place of pragmatic consequences. Uh, students, uh, kids, will learn in schools. We don't have to yeah. force them to learn. Um, yeah, I think we should be idealistic. Let's um, try to keep the big bad world out of schools. Uh, John Dewey said, uh, schooling uh, is not preparing for life, it's living life. And I think that we should take schools as part of life, but part of life that is a bit shielded from outside influences. 
Yeah. And so, aside from these sets of uh, uh, concerns in your work, are there any other uh, concerns that you, that you find yourself uh, 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 working through? Any other abiding interests interest that have been sort of guiding your, uh, uh, your work over the years? Yes, a few different ones. One is to make sure that philosophy of education uh, speaks directly to classroom practices and okay. not indirectly or not primarily theoretically. So a lot of the work I've done uh, uses examples from classrooms to try to think through uh, philosophically uh, the issues that are at stake. That has been one of my primary objectives in writing. So I'm always using anecdotes and telling stories, etc. This comes across uh, in my teaching as well. I, I tell a lot of stories. I've been a teacher for 29 years and I've taught in South Africa and I've taught in Washington State and now I teach in Canada. I'd also taught in Chicago for four years, I almost forgot. I taught at all levels from kindergarten all the way up through uh, PhD students and I find that it's useful to have those experiences in classrooms uh, to let philosophy come to bear through through what we really do in classrooms. Yeah. Mm. So that's one, yeah, that's a strain of my thought. Yeah, and so these stories, these anecdotes, these vignettes, uh, is it right to say that they then ground the philosophical work and prevent it from becoming sort of uh, conceptual abstraction for abstraction's sake and sort of uh, uh, anchors that work to the real lived experiences of uh, teachers, students, etc.? Is yeah, that right? Absolutely. Um, we were talking about critical theory before, so a lot of um, stories. I can tell have to do with reproduction and how um, schools reproduce certain orders in society. Can I give you an example? Of course, please. So when I taught in South Africa, and it was under apartheid, mm. and so there was segregation of races. So each race had a different curriculum. The highest curriculum was reserved for the whites, and the lowest curriculum was reserved for the uh, African children. And this was actually a case of intentional... Um, intentionally using schools to segregate society. And I see that today. I see that in our schools today. I, where I teach in British Columbia, we have separate uh, classes for English speakers and non-English speakers. Oh, wow. And oftentimes the non-English speakers get a watered-down version of curriculum, just like Africans used to do in, in South Africa. Here I'm just telling a long story to say that um, critical theory really does have a point, yeah. that education does still segregate, segregate people, um, sometimes in a really bad way. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, uh, to my ears, it sounds as though there are some sort of abiding questions that critical theorists uh, working through education would certainly wish to ask. And I wonder, uh, to students who might be coming to critical theory uh, anew, um, to your mind, are there any questions that are sort of uh, on the horizon or questions just around the corner that we need to start thinking about now, perhaps in ways that uh, don't readily map on to the uh, structures of the past? Yes. Um, critical theory is just starting to ask some big questions about where education is going and how it's becoming uh, privatized in unforeseen ways. So there are big discussions about education becoming privatized through uh, private schools, through vouchers, charters, charter schools, etc. However, um, one thing that critical theory is starting to think about is how education is becoming privatized through entrepreneurship. 
mm. that has little to do with actually the old versions of, of privatization. So, for example, um, entrepreneurs in ed tech right now sure. are, yeah. are selling billions of dollars worth of software to teachers, and they are starting to monopolize how some teachers think about the way they teach in schools. Uh, that's something that critical theory would say, watch out. Schools have always been in the business of um, establishing inequities. And even right now, those, those teachers who are able to access um, technologies and those who aren't, there's such large discrepancies um, between those folks, especially in the United States. And quite frankly, entrepreneurs could not care less about these sorts of discrepancies. So critical theory would say that we should watch out for these inequities. Yeah, and it sounds as though these are the sorts of inequities that are often sort of, um, that often are brought into existence without very much uh, uh, pushback uh, uh, in the schools or by the, uh, by the educators. Uh, perhaps then, as you suggest, uh, critical theory allows us to really uh, uh, agitate that, uh, that complacency. Yes, it gives us a good lens or a magnifying glass to, to see some of the things that are happening in schools that are not so fair. Yeah. Charles Bingham, thank you so much for being with us. All right, thank you. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song Summer as our theme.